Jingi walla blagami arako dukum. Jendamani nyali garamanyali nya. Nyali nya nyathan nyathan jen. Garamanyali tugun gunu. Wana jangma malagunu gala tugun. Nyali nya tugun gunu. Bugube blagami. Thank you, Delta K, a Raku Bunjalung woman, for welcoming us to country. Delta is a long-term supporter of Byron Writers Festival. You're listening to Conversations from Byron, a podcast series featuring writers from the 2020 festival lineup. In this session, Mandy Nolan talks with Jean Kitson about her book, We Need to Talk About Mum and Dad, which is available for purchase from the bookroom at byron.com. Hello, this is Mandy Nolan. I'm here on behalf of the Byron Writers Festival chatting to one of the wonderful authors who would have been sitting in the tents, you know, on a sunny day, um, making people laugh and entertaining people, comedian, author, actor, public speaker, broadcaster, Jean Kitson. Hello, Jean. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I miss being up there with everyone. No, no, it's such a beautiful weekend. And and we're actually talking about your your new book is we we need to talk about mum and dad which is published by Pan McMillan and it's such uh, I read this book and went oh my god because I'm 52 it's exactly the book I need to be reading right now um about all the ins and outs of having aging parents and looking at how we navigate this very complex um system and people to maintain our elders' dignity. Um, I just have to say, you've really suffered to get this research done. I can, <laughs> I, I, I've been on one of these phone calls. Can you tell me what what inspired you to write this book, Jean, and the process that you've gone through to to gather this data and information? Well, you're right about the age group. When I um, published my last book on menopause, you're still hot to me, the joys of menopause. I was touring the country talking about menopause. So I was talking to people my age and um, and we, we were all going through the same thing. We had kids still at home. We had full-time jobs. We were going through menopause and we also were all worried about our elderly parents and we were trying to help them at this really critical stage of their lives and it was and it was not the hot flushes or the teenage hormones that kept them awake at night and us all awake at night it was this angst about our elderly parents and and I thought to myself why are we all why is it so hard why are we all so worried about um, our parents and the right thing to do by them. Why doesn't it come naturally to our community? Why doesn't it come naturally to all of us um, looking after our our elders and making sure they're happy? Why is it so difficult? And so when um, my publisher, Pan McMillan, asked me if I wanted to write another book, I thought, Yes, well, I'd like to write a book about this because I'd need to know all these answers. And I, I, I have uh, my mum's ninety six and my dad's ninety three. So I started writing this book five years ago. That's how long it's taken me. Because in the meantime, every time I tried to help my parents, I was always behind the eight ball. And the time I've in this time I've written my book, um, they've had 
broken hips, broken femurs, strokes, broken shoulders. Uh, They've been in rehab and hospitals. They've had to move home. So go into a retirement village, get extra care. Things just happen so quickly in, in the lives of our elders and trying to help them and stay ahead of the game, not not always, you know, in crisis mode and in in crisis control is really, really difficult. So I wrote a book that I needed myself. Actually, I've written it for my children. <laughs> I've written it for my kids to look after me. That's that's actually a really good point. It's it's a lot more complex than than it should be. And do, do you think the complexity is part of what um, gives people a lot of blocks about? Um, getting the best care they can for their ageing parents. You've got a lot of stories in there where people, you know, have fallen through the system. Were they the kind of stories that you were coming across more and more? Every time I talked to someone about their experience with their elderly parents, that it was grief that they mainly felt and not not grief over a sense of loss, grief over the difficulties they had trying to find the right care for them and do the right thing by them and, and guilt whether or not they were happy as they could have been in 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 this stage of their lives. And I think a lot of it comes from the fact it's one of those, we don't talk about it a lot. We don't sit down and have those conversations we really need to have. That's hence the title of the book. We need to sit down with our elders and talk about how they see this stage of their lives and where they'd like to be. And those conversations are ongoing and they happen they happen over years and the main thing you need to do is always have them at the centre of the conversation. Often kids come in and start dictating to their elders what they think needs to be done because they want to protect them. So they just come in and they start saying, oh, my gosh, you need this, you need that. But we always, we we can't make them feel helpless. We can't make them feel like a burden, which seems to be the common um, way our communities are going at the moment that that older people are a burden. Well, they're not. They're not a burden. They're not a burden to us. As they're not a burden to their families. They're not a burden to their communities. They're not a burden to the our economy, and they're not a burden to our country. They're actually um, people who have added their productivity and their thoughts and their their creativity and their gene pool to the fabric of our communities. You know, they're important people. So. We've got to start by putting them really at the centre of all conversations and finding out what what they want. That's what I love particularly in what you've written, Jean, is that of course you've made dry material at times very human and, and funny. You put a lot of humanity into it and it is around reframing, you know, that mindset of, you know, I love how you speak of the value of older people and putting them back in the middle because you can see even when I'm thinking about my parents, I'm actually thinking about what works for me. Like this would work for me. My <laughs> life would be a lot less impacted if you did this. And it actually made me really think about why, how I was, I was thinking about the upcoming years. It was actually all about me. Is, is that something that, that's hard to face a little bit about yourself, isn't it? Cause it's hard to, to, to get yeah. those parameters. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I did the same. I built a granny flat downstairs. I love love that story. Can you tell us about the granny flat? Because Well, I thought, (laughs) I know, the best thing for my parents will be, for them, will be to be around me and my family and be part of the family and be connected. So I changed the garage underneath our house into a 
very spacious open plan apartment that is at least as big as their original lounge room where they would only have to get rid of like nine-tenths of their stuff and move in. And it's only down like 23 steps. And while I was building it, my friends who had more experience than me said, Jean, all these steps. I go, oh, no problem. My parents are really nimble. They're really agile. They're amazing. And within a year, they're both on frame. So the granny flat downstairs is now, a t- you know, like even my kids live in there. They're not kids anymore, but it's so mum and dad just looked at it and said, thanks, Jean. That's very nice, but no thanks. We'll stay in our own, <laughs> we'll stay in our own unit in the retirement village. But you're right. We, you know, often when we talk about suffering, even we're talking about our suffering. We're talking about what it does for us, what the end of what, of, especially at end of life, you know, when we, we talk about how much we're hurting, how much we're grieving, how inconvenient maybe their care is to us. But I suppose this it, it's a really complex area because there's so many elements to ageing. We have to protect them. We have to make sure that care is, they need an advocate. Everyone I talked to said they pity the elder person who hasn't got an advocate because they would have no chance at all. Absolutely no chance dealing with bureaucracies, dealing with systems, dealing with protocols in hospitals. Trying to navigate my age care is really difficult, especially if you can't see or hear very well. It's impossible. And it seems like to actually have, and we've got all these portals now that are supposed to centralise and make things easier, but a lot of older people like to talk to someone, but to be on a phone for that long, you know, it is, it's like the system as itself isn't really that inviting for anyone who is older. No, I mean, when I started, when I rang up uh, my age care to get an assessment for my parents. When I worked out, okay, that's an, the first step. You have to get a mic, you know, a mic, um, a my age care assessment for home, for home care. Um, when I rang up, first of all, they had to talk to mum and dad. They couldn't hear these people. They couldn't hear, actually hear or understand what they were saying. And there was all this jargon. So then they had to make me their referee on the phone. And when you're made a referee, you get a number, please. You know, if I've got two tips. One, get a notebook and write every single thing down. Get a big notebook. Unless you have total recall, you will need this notebook. You write every conversation, every appointment, everything that's ever you ever do with your parents, write it down. And when you re- ring my age care to get um, an assessment, a home care package assessment, you'll get a reference number. So that means that means you can talk on your parents' behalf. And then so then you make an appointment to get assessed. Then you wait for the assessment. Then the par- your parents get assessed. And that's a rigmarole in itself because my parents, when they're getting assessed, after their assessment, they said, oh, I think we did really well. And I said... <laughs> You're not supposed to do really well. You're supposed to be truthful about what you can manage and what you can't manage. You're not supposed to go, oh, yes, you know, look at me. I'm cleaning the roof. I'm ironing the tea towels. So and then then you get an an appointment for an assessment. You get assessed and then you've got to wait for an allocation of a package. So this can take Years. I'm not kidding. In the Royal Commission into Aged Care and Safety, um, the safety practice in the Royal Commission at the moment, that it found that when you were getting reassessed to go to say from a level three to a level four, which is basically, you know, 
that's the highest level you can get to. That's your palliative level almost. It, it, most people died while they were waiting for that package to arrive. This is how difficult it is. So That's just cruel. It's really cruel. It's really cruel. There's, there's a lot of angst and um, gr- that's where the angst and grief comes from. It's very, hu- very hard, this end of life, but it can be easy when you know how to do it. And that's what I've tried to put in this book, like just people have sent me, now people have read it. I'm getting emails from people saying we're actioning everything at the end of each chapter and we're not moving on. But these are people in their 70s and they're doing it for themselves. And I thought to myself, oh, I should be doing it for me. Here I am worrying about mum and dad, but I should be getting all my legals in place, make sure I have everything, you know, multiple copies and have my enduring powers of attorney all in place, place all those sort of things that you need, all the financials and because you want to make sure, and I just want to reassure everyone that there are people who know how to do all this and that, and I've tried to steer people in the direction of like don't try and work out finances on your own. Just get a person who deals with later life finances. Hire them. They're not very expensive. They'll work out because the main thing you want to do for your parents is make sure their care costs are covered and make sure that they're going to be okay right through their this this stage of their lives. Because that would be the main thing, I think, for a lot of people is this worry financially and this also what you talked about before, this this thing that you see a lot of a lot of people do and we all do, like, are you okay? And going, yeah, I'm fine, thanks, and then you don't get the help you need, like the home care, that one story when you could have had the home care coming, I think it was your mum, was it your mum in that story? could have been coming, said, would you like home care to come once a week when the nurse asked? And she goes, oh, no, once a fortnight, basically once a fortnight's fine because no one wants to be any trouble. Oh, that's when your mother was having a, a heart attack. Yes, that's but didn't right. want, but didn't, didn't want, want to, to be too much anyone any trouble. trouble. That's right. And my dad was taking, he was fixing the electric window in the car. So he had the car, he had the door off the car. So this is the, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't ring a hospital or any, it wouldn't ring an ambulance, but mum was feeling more and more ill. And finally, dad took her down to the local GP and she was having a heart attack of some sort. And the nurse is going, we've rung an ambulance to take you to the hospital. And do you need more care at home? No, I'm fine. Thank you. Look, Everybody wants to maintain their independence for as long as possible. And what most people say, you know, is that their parents are the the most – the parents themselves are the most difficult things they deal with because there's resistance all the time. But that's what these – why these conversations are so important because you've got to reassure your loved one that – Going through, putting all these things in place gives them more control over this stage of their lives, not less. It gives them more control and more independence. We're not talking about, lock, you know, sending them off no. to a nursing home. That's We're talking about keeping them home for as long as possible with as much support as possible. So it gives them more independence yeah. and more control. And making people less vulnerable. I mean, one of the things which I loved that you really pointed out, which there's a lot of things that never occurred to me. Um, uh, One was the different roles, family members. And I love how you said there's always an asshole in the family. And there really is always an asshole in the family. And that's, 
the person that you almost have to protect your your older person from where you get this kind of stuff in place because often the older person is very vulnerable to you know because you can become you more vulnerable to people as you get older um people scammers ringing so this is was that something you, you found too like the role of the asshole um and the and and then the super carer you're not the asshole I can tell I'm not to. I thought I thought <laughs> I was a CFO the chief family officer but I realized I was a, you know like there's a few I've got a few categories there's a CFO who thinks who does everything and organizes everything and I thought that was me but actually my younger sister she works in um, and has for many years in disabilities so she really is very practical and knows how to organize a lot of uh, the especially the systems, protocols, bureaucracies, that side of it. I'm, And then there's the FIFO sibling, the one, the fly in, fly out, the ones that fly in from another state and goes, oh, mum needs this and dad needs that and bangs all the drums and blows all the whistles and upsets everyone then flies off again. <laughs> and then, of course, as you're talking about, the arsehole or the bad sibling is the one that um, often is the golden child and they can be the bad sibling who exploit the parent to to the hilt. And there's so many stories there. And one of them was told by a friend of mine. Um, he's an accountant and he was telling me how uh, he got this, this phone call one day saying that his lovely client who he'd had for years and years, uh, he got a, a phone call from her son saying um, that his mother had died and could he please see the will. And the accountant was really saddened by this because he was a friend and but he was also as executor of the will and this is one of the tips you should have not only family but get an, get the your accountant to be an executor as well takes all the emotion out anyway as executor of her will he did his due diligence so he rang up the daughter just to um really to give condolences and he rang up the daughter to to say how sorry he was and the daughter said how do you know mum's dead? She's She only died five minutes ago. I'm still in the hospital room. So the bad sibling, the son, had run up. As wow. soon as she took her last breath, he wanted to see the will. He'd rung up. I didn't tell that story very, very well, but you get the gist. I do get exactly that. that no, you told it very well. Uh, <laughs> it, is, it is a... um. You know, they're those kind of, you know, the things that you really want to protect from. And they're the things that create, in a sense, it, it's about people's, you know, creating their life in a way they have more control. But I think for a lot of parents, they probably don't want to see their family and their kids end up at war with each other. So I guess, you know, you do protect relationships by making sure that you're, you're, um, got everything in place. I was amazed in this though, um, I didn't actually realise, I didn't understand the difference between power of attorney and enduring power of attorney. I thought I did. I think a lot of people think they've got things in place, but they probably haven't. And then the anachronisms were unbelievable. Oh. The amount of... Yeah, the, the, they are. There's, they go on and on. There's ACAT and ACE, ACAS and SAD. That's just two of them. They, there's about two million acronyms and they're all, you know, like it's like speaking Klingon. You just have no clue what these bureaucrats are talking about. And I've got a friend, she's a bureaucrat, and she can go on My Age Care website or any of these websites and she can find 
exactly what you're looking for. And one day she showed me something I was trying to find. And then she left the room and I tried to find it again. I had no clue. I don't know what she pressed. It's not intuitive. <laughs> it's like it's like this sort of secret language where they know how to find the things and open the right portals. But us mere mortals, we have no – it just doesn't make any sense. And I'll find one document one day about residential aged care and the next day I try to find the same one on my and I have no hope. So there's lots of really practical tips on how to navigate aged care, how to write down. If you, you'll probably for the, you know, have to ring Centrelink and they'll tell you to find a document, for example, and they'll give you a reference number. They'll tell you a document and then you ask for the reference number of the document because there'll be about a thousand documents that are similar but not the right one. So you want to get the exact reference number of the document so you fill out the right ones. Just little tips like that really, really help and know that you have to be on hold for a long time and, and that notebook, just always have that notebook by your side and and the legals are really important, as you say. There's also the advanced directive, which is the legal arm of an advanced care plan. You know, we all talk about end-of-life care plans and where we want to be and everything, but the, an advanced directive is the legal document of the advanced care plan. So, do you make that? Do you make that with a? Is that like a? Um, with, you make it with a solicitor, or you make it? Um does it have to get witnessed like a by a JP or Oh no you can do it with your lawyer but it's best to do it with a doctor because they'll explain all the oh, okay. difference between saying I don't want antibiotics or well you might want them if you've just got a UTI and you want to and you can get over it you may not want massive antibiotics if you have massive infections you might want to be let go mm. but a doctor has to explain all that it takes a while and it is a, and the lawyers have lawyers have this so it is a legal document but I did with our lawyers and then I realized it was like just turn off this turn off that turn off this and when I spoke to my GP she said lawyers are not doctors and actually you probably still want to be you probably still want hydration and but I've I've sort of talked about all that all the nuances because then she said you'll want hydration but then you talk to palliative care uh, experts and specialists and they say in this case or that case at the end of life really if you're in the hands of a good palliative care team they're going to do the right thing by you and they, they yeah it's understanding all that too isn't it and the difference between if you go into ICU what that might mean if you actually do if your advanced um, care directive is um, that you don't want intervention or that it's it's actually quite hard on an older person you know, yeah. in that circumstance, a lot of things you don't don't realize. I had a, a a family member who, you know, watching someone when they're dying, doing nil by mouth, is is the, basically dying from your organs shutting down from dehydration. is is a very confronting and unpleasant um, experience. You know, once you've been through that, and that was what her wishes were. But when you're actually going through it, you kind of like going, wow, I hadn't even occurred to me what this was going to look like or how, you know, worrying if she was suffering or not because you just don't know. 
Well, the palliative care specialists, no. And I think the people who mainly suffer are the people around the bed waiting and watching and going through that. It is, it's a really profound, a profound experience. And it is the one time I think for me when I had to keep checking in is it, am I worried about me or them? Is this, is my suffering about me unable to handle this or them? Mm. Because we were always reassured and, uh, that our, that our loved one was comfortable, was doing okay, but it can take a long, long time. So at the end of the book, I have just got a guide of what you might experience and what dying might look like because for most of us we don't know that and we haven't seen someone die and it's frightening and it's really distressing it can be and there can be things that uh, are that just cause an enormous amount of pain in the people around. But if you understand what's causing them and understanding it, you're not actually dying from dehydration because you're, they're still, you know, often still got drips to, and you hydrate their mouth. Oh, look, I won't go into detail, no, but, but yeah, but the more you know, the, the more, more you understand. Yeah. And the more strength you have and the more understanding and the less fear. Because often it's just this fear that something that you should be doing something else for them that you're doing the wrong thing. So um, when you understand all that, but you know, speaking speaking of that, there's a big push at the moment to recognize frailty in older people and to start looking at their frailty as an indication of where they are in their health rather than um, if you go to hospital in emergency rather than going into ICU where a lot of older people are immediately sent to ICU to because hospitals are set up to diagnose and cure and treat. They're not set up to help you uh, at the end of your life. So re being informed about that. So when you go to hospital with your loved one, you can, you can talk and have those co- important conversations about what they want. Yeah, exactly. I have to say in, in reading this book, I, I really loved that you were sharing your journey, um, all the way and your parents were just such great, um, people to get to know through the book. And it, it did help when you were talking about dignity and people being the center of the story to have have them in there um and obviously you got consent to use their story yes yes although (laughs) having said that my parents are amazing and they're also quite you know unusual and and it's a they they fight all the time my parents they're just there you can see it in those stories because they're the spine of the book, my journey with them, and they're always fighting. But then even last week my dad ended up in hospital with a UTI and um – Oh no! Actually, he ended. He was in hospital because they called an ambulance. He had an atrial fibrillation. He had a heart thing. He had a UTI. That was two weeks ago. Last week he had a UTI. This is what happened. But yeah. he ended up in hospital, and we all thought, "Oh well, that's probably it." And we all gathered with mum at the at in their retirement village, and and she was pretty stoic. And we couldn't go into emergency because of COVID. And the, the, this has been terrible for the older 
population, the beautiful couple next door, the the to mum and dad, the the wife broke her hip and ended up in hospital, and no one could visit her, and then she ended up in rehab, and still, um, only he could see her, no one else, and then she died, and there was no funeral. It's and so there's this horrible what it's done to the older population when they're dying, when they're dying alone without family, they can't even say goodbye, and then they can't. The ones left haven't even got the support of people at a funeral. It is so devastating. It is so awful for them. But anyway, so dad ends up coming back out of emergency. They just give him a tablet and he's fine. He comes back because they've got nine lives, my parents. Anyway, he comes back and you should have seen my mum and dad who are at each other's throat most of the time. Oh, my God, it's wonderful. Weeping. I love you. And we're crying and <laughs> hugging each other and both of them. It's so... Oh, it was amazing. It was really moving, but it's a bizarre relationship. And um, that's really beautiful. I'm sure there's a lot of relationships like that where they're at each other's throat. But if anything happens, they visit each other every day. With so they're they're. I have enormous admiration from for my parents, and a lot of the wisdom in the book comes from my mother, in particular. And I was going to say I've got permission to use their stories, but having said that. This book is an audio book and I've been, and mum and dad are both, um, mum's legally blind and she, uh, I'm just a bit reluctant to give them the book <laughs> in case there are some stories that they didn't know I was going to include in there. But no, they're, they're really, they're really great, my parents, and they've always been very open and they know why I'm doing these books like during menopause too mum I wrote stories about mum and she knows why I'm writing these these books well it's incredibly important Jean thanks so much for chatting with us today about we need to talk about mum and dad I'd highly recommend um it's kind of I was reading it thinking like all the work I did giving birth and all the books I read on birth and pregnancy and bringing up kids, like I was so schooled up. I could have been a midwife myself. And then as I was reading this, I was going, why don't we know this? Why is it like it, it is actually, you know, it's it's almost like becoming a an aged care doula. Um, where <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. You start to know all the things that you need to do to support your your parents and also um, to to do it for yourself because we're not that far off doing it right now. No, sadly that is true. <laughs> but, you know, we, we will make – and I guess that's what the book is about. You don't want to go through all the struggles and you don't – you know, you don't want to we, – we, my generation, don't want to be packed off to residential aged care we don't want to be abused. We want to be informed and still stay in as much control and have as much independence as possible. Mm. And that's what I hope this book empowers everyone to do. Well done. Um, thanks so much, Jean. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, man. And, of course, hopefully we'll see you maybe the following year yeah. at a writer's festival where we can we can sit together again and speak in human form. That would be so sublime. <laughs> Thanks, Mandy. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. This series has been generously supported by the Copyright Agency's Cultural Fund. 
For more conversations, please visit byronwritersfestival.com. Mm-hmm.